Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to another episode of the Circling the Bases podcast. Today, the relief market preview. Relief pitchers, one of the more difficult to decipher and get through. Thank God we have DJ Short here with us and Scott Pianowski from Yahoo Sports. I am Connor Rogers. And DJ, listen, this is one of those position groups that you have the elite guys at the top. And then you're not even sure who's actually going to be closing games outside yes. of them. So, big picture, what do you look at when trying to rank relie- uh, relievers in fantasy baseball? Uh, I, there used to be this adage in the past, don't pay for saves. I feel like that was like 10 years ago when like Kevin Gregg would get 30 saves with a 4 ERA. Those days are not happening now. You have to be aggressive with saves. Or you need to be content with just using the waiver wire all season long. There are different ways to go about it, but I think getting a little bit of security early in drafts is always helpful. Scott, is that something you follow as well? Do you think this is a market that you just have to attack or else you're going to be living and dying on the waiver wire week after week to find any guy that's helping out in a closer role? Yeah, I feel like saves could become more of a pain in the neck year in and year out because everybody in your league is going to be active. This idea that you're just going to rule the waiver wire and get every freshly minted closer, it's just out the window now. There's too much good information out there. You know, you, the guys over at at, uh, you know, at Roto World are spoiling it for everybody, giving us the, the leg up on these new closers. So I'm going to go with an anchors away strategy. What does that mean? I want one closer I can hang my hat on. And, and actually, that's kind of what I want to do with my starting pitchers, too. I want one starting pitcher I feel super good about. But in the case of the closers, I want one guy who I feel like already has 35 saves in his back pocket. And then I'm going to take some speculative guys or some cheaper guys. And then you have to be proactive. You have to know who the number twos are. You have to know who's on a short leash. You have to know who maybe can't be trusted to throw 70 innings in a season because you're going to be elbowing your league mates out of the way to try to get these saves. It's the most, it's really satisfying when you land on the right closer. You get a closer for nothing in Fab or something like that. But if you don't solve your bullpen, it could be something that gives you a six month headache. And today we're going to get into all of that the biggest transactions, a couple of late round dart throws, and of course, top 20s from both DJ and Scott on the relief pitching market. But before we do, a reminder, every season is draft season. Get your Roto-World draft guide bundle today and dominate your football, baseball, and basketball drafts packed with profiles, rankings, projections. Order today and get all three Roto-World draft guides for the price of two. Plus, use promo code BUNDLE5 and save an extra $5 at checkout. All right, guys, as we always do with position previews, we look at the guys that maybe signed the biggest deals in free agency or a couple of trades that happened at the top of this market. And you have to start with the guy that just had the best season out of the relievers last year. That is Edwin Diaz. Doesn't go anywhere. Stays with the Mets. Gets that record-setting five-year, $102 million deal to stay. Kenley Jansen uh, is on the move. Signs with the Red Sox for a two-year, $32 million deal. And then the last big one would be Craig Kimbrell. He signs with the Phillies on a one-year, $10 million deal. DJ, do any of those three... Diaz, you're just, it's hard to project the same because that was such a unique year. But do any of these three moves really jump out to you? 
I mean, for me, I think the Phillies try to bank on Craig Kimbrell uh, to rediscover uh, his excellence. I, I think is a risky move for a team that has designs on going back to the World Series. Hey, it's worth a flyer. There's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. We hear that all the time. But uh, I think that one could look pretty bad come May or so. So, uh, I, And I think the market's kind of caught up on that. I don't think there's big expectations fantasy-wise. Well, we'll see what the Phillies do there. They certainly have alternatives. Sir Anthony Dominguez is someone I'm targeting late. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too optimistic about Kimbrell's chances. Especially a bullpen that has to replace David Robertson, yeah. of course, as well. Big trade deadline acquisition. Scott, you have the same concerns with Kimbrell, and are you – you know, are you interested in the move for Jansen as well? Yeah, I didn't rank Kimbrell in my top 20 because, again, the Phillies can consider themselves a World Series contender. Why wouldn't they? And they have so much depth behind him that any kind of a hiccup and, and Kimbrell will not be closing games for them. So he's not somebody I'm going to draft into proactively. And for Kenley Jansen, he's been you know, a really high maintenance closer for a few years. He's into his 35, age 35 season. This is the weakest Red Sox roster we've seen in a while. I feel like I say that on every positional preview. Can you tell I'm a Red Sox fan? <laughs> and I, I feel like he may throw 55 or 60 innings. So I, I have him ranked, I think, as my number 11 closer. I'm not going to get into it. Uh, Jansen's not going to be on my team. And I understand why the Mets went after Diaz. His strikeout rate looks like a misprint. Mm-hmm. And the Mets, of course, they have a great starting staff, but that's not a big deal anymore because all the starters are asked to throw six or seven innings. Those, those, those could all be prospective Diaz saves. And I think he ran a little bit unlucky with the save count last year, as dominant as he was. I could see him back around the 45 or 50 save uh, market this year. If you want to go after Diaz proactively, and I know it's not for everybody because you're losing a major hitter or you're mo- losing maybe the, the key to your starting staff when you pick a guy like Diaz at the front of a, of a fantasy a bullpen bullpen um, hierarchy, but I understand why the Mets paid him, and I understand why fantasy managers are going to pay Diaz as well. DJ, out of the tier two moves, whether it's you know the Angels signing Carlos Estevez to that two year deal, or Aldis Chapman goes to the Royals on just a one year deal under four million, it shows the kind of fall from grace Chapman yeah. has had recently. Are any of those notable to you? Yeah, I think Estevez is a really sneaky move. He's pitched his entire career in Colorado, so I think there's some untapped upside here potentially. And if look if you look at his career, he's pitched better on the road. Shock. Uh, last season had a 3.49 ERA, 34 strikeouts, just six walks in 28 and two-thirds innings on the road. I think if you're looking for a late-round late breakout possibility who could get you 30-plus saves, I think Estevez is a great choice. Scott, you mentioned when we were discussing the Phillies and Kimbrel how much depth they have there, and I, I would be, you know, uh, it would be a miss if I didn't mention Gregory Soto is a Tier 2 move as well, traded to the Phillies. So is there any Tier 2 move... Uh, like DJ said, with Estevez that jumps out to you, do you agree with him? And is Soto somebody that you think is one of those guys in the mix behind Kimbrell? Yeah, he could be. I, I could see throwing a late-round chip on him. And you mentioned Chapman. Remember with the Royals, okay, they also have Barlow, who's an interesting reliever there. A closer is a luxury on a losing team. And what a lot of these teams want to do is maybe get 15 saves to somebody by the All-Star break and then trade them for future considerations, try to beef up their team down the road. So be, I'm a little bit nervous. I think of somebody like David Bednar in Pittsburgh, right? And we know he wasn't traded last year. But what if he has like 18 saves at the All-Star break and then finally Pittsburgh finds a deal that they like and they move him? So just be careful when you're investing on closers or would-be closers on losing teams because a lot of times these guys are in trade discussions in the middle of the year and then they get traded to a team where they won't be closing anymore. Yeah. One last move uh, out of all the player developments or one one noteworthy news to discuss is just a quick uh, – 
We're sending our best to Liam Hendricks, who's diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Status for the season in question, Hendricks is down in spring training and yep. working out just really speaks to uh, the will and determination of him as he goes through his recovery. So we wouldn't want to do this show without mentioning we are sending our best and thinking of Liam Hendricks. Let's get into some buying and fading here. Yep. And as we always do, we start with the fades. You're looking at ADPs, especially in the reliever market, where it's really tough to diagnose when am I going to spend on a reliever. What are some ADPs that are scaring you off right now? So Scott already mentioned Kenley Jansen, and I'm going to start off with him here. I still have him as a top 12 closer because when you have someone who's you know the clear number one guy, the Red Sox gave him a big contract, he's probably going to get 30 saves. But what I'm looking at with Kenley Jansen this year is the pitch clock. Now, Jansen has been one of the most deliberate pitchers to the plate in Major League Baseball. He had the highest slow percentage with bases empty last year, second worst in slow percentage with runners on base last season. So I think this is going to be an adjustment for some of these pitchers, especially relievers who tend to be a bit more deliberate. I'm interested to see how he's going to adjust to that in the early part of the season. And then you look at the age, too, 35 years old, turns 36 in September. You know, are there injury concerns to worry about here? He was really good last year with the Braves, but we'll see how these different factors come together for him this year. I'm probably going to avoid him. Scott, any ADPs that are scaring you off right now? You know, Josh Hader is the biggest name closer I'm not going to draft. He just really spooked me last year. He lost his release point. He walked a ton of guys. And he's starting to allow home runs. We used to think of Josh Hader as just completely unhittable. That's no longer the case here. And when a closer goes bad on a contending team, they don't have the luxury to wait around. San Diego considers itself one of the three or four primary contenders to win the World Series. If Hader doesn't get off to a good start, they have a lot of people nipping at his heels. So I'm going to be out on him. I'm going to be out on Jansen, as we talked about earlier. And I don't like to draft into injuries. Injuries are going to find you anyway, so why draft into them? We saw Felix Martista at the end of last year with that knee problem. He wanted to rehab that. Now he's got a shoulder issue. I'm probably going to bump him down where I have him ranked on this show. But Baltimore's another team, right? They think they're a playoff contender. They think they could make it maybe as a wild card this year. They probably won't win the ALE. So I don't think they'll have a long leash for Bautista either. That's the double-edged sword. You want a closer on a good team, but if you don't get off to a good start, they're going to replace you maybe quicker than a medium team would. I've bumped Batista down a couple of spots in my rankings just with news of that. And he's only done this once, too. So mm-hmm. I think that's an important factor as well. NL West, Daniel Bard with the Rockies. He was awesome last year. He's really reinvented himself. Uh, but, you know, pitching in Colorado, bad things can happen. I'm just not going to draft at that ADP. And also the Diamondbacks bullpen is just a complete mess. Uh, Mark Melanson wants to reclaim the closer job. I don't trust him. They signed Scott McGuff from, he pitched like four seasons in Japan, reinvented himself as well. He's maybe a late round sleeper, but I think that bullpen is wide open and I'm not going to take any part of it in mixed league drafts this spring. So it's great. Bar yeah. contract, right? Age 38 yep. season, he's got a big walk problem. It's obviously Colorado, which is a horrible place to pitch. And look back into Rocky's history. Guys have not had multiple years of closing success in that park for obvious reasons. I could see Daniel Bard having like a 5.5 ERA and not closing for a team that's going to win like 68 games anyway. I I, I do have him in my top 20, but he's somebody I'm not going to draft either. It's great when you get the rundown, and DJ's fades include the entire Diamondbacks bullpen. Just <laughs> Sorry, fade, guys. fade the entire team's <laughs> bullpen. Scott, for the buying market, we'll start with you. What are a couple ADPs that you're looking at and saying, okay, I would be in on that player in that spot? 
Yeah, so I'm always looking for a tier one closer at a tier two price. And I think Riles, uh, Rysel Iglesias and Ryan Presley fit that really nicely. They're both on teams that are going to win 90-plus games. They both have the closing job to themselves to open the season. I also think Camilo Doval could take a step forward in San Francisco. He's not perfect. The walk rate is a little bit higher than we want it to be. If he trims that just a little bit, I still think San Francisco has an 85 and 87, 88 win team on the field. It's overshadowed because of what the Dodgers look like and because of all the moves that San Diego have made. But I think Doval has the job to himself. And again, just a little bit of a tweak to his control. I could see him taking a step forward this year. So I really like the Iglesias uh, pick there, uh, Scott. One earned run allowed in 28 appearances after the trade from the Angels last year. It was a little shaky to start the season with the Angels, but he had a 2.75 ERA uh, between 2016 and 2022. The Braves should win 95-plus games, so for me, that's, that's automatic. I also like Alexis Diaz with the Reds, Edwin Diaz's brother, so you already like the sound of that. 1.84 ERA over 59 appearances as a rookie last year. The ex-ERA was 2.76, so really kind of backing up what he did last year. Did a great job inducing weak contact, misses a ton of bats, especially with his slider. If there's a pitcher who could make that leap into the top 10 closers, I think Alexis Diaz could be that guy. Before we get to top 20s from each of you, let's discuss a couple guys on the back end, late round flyers. Uh, it could be somebody maybe even borderline draftable or undraftable. Yeah. DJ, who are you throwing a couple darts on? So I think the Dodgers closure situation is really fascinating, and I think it speaks a lot that they didn't do much during the offseason with their bullpen as far as their confidence in Evan Phillips, who was flat-out awesome last year, 1.14 ERA in 64 innings. Is he going to be the guy? I think that's the big question. Do they save him for high leverage situations in the eighth inning and go a different direction? Daniel Hudson's a possibility. He is coming off an ACL tear, so we're going to have to watch him a little bit in the spring. But I wouldn't mind, especially with the ADP with Phillips. It's right around 300 right now. That could increase if or that could go up as we get kind of more clarity on the role during spring training. But to me, the Dodgers should win 90 games. Like, why not go after that? Scott, what do you make of the Dodgers' bullpen situation? And are there any other teams that you're looking at a couple dart throws that could sneak into the closer role at some point? Yeah, I like the Phillips call. And remember, with the shape of baseball the way it is now, where more wins are getting parceled into the relief market because the starters don't go as deep, you could even conceivably draft Phillips. And if he turns into a guy who wins seven or eight games and just gets a handful of saves, that's still rosterable in a medium or deeper mixed league. It's not like the old days where if you weren't closing, we didn't want any part of a reliever. That's different now. If you're on a good team and you're getting high leverage work, even if it's not in the ninth inning, you can still hold value. So I want Phillips to be a guy you star on your cheat sheet. We talked about Liam Hendricks. We don't know what his status will be. We're certainly all pulling for a full recovery, but we have to pick who's going to close in the interim. I think Kendall Graveman probably gets that job in Chicago. And, and even though the team made no cosmetic changes, if they could just get some health that they didn't have last year, and maybe Tony LaRusso was just the wrong man at the wrong time to manage that team. I could see Chicago making an eight or 10 win improvement just because the roster was so ravaged by injuries last year. Kendall Graveman has a sneaky chance at 20 saves. We do need to pick a closer on the Tigers. I know they're <laughs> going to win 65 games or so, but Alex Land looks like the guy, the leader in the clubhouse. Again, it's one of these things where the first pitcher to get a save in Detroit may get some leash because most managers want to push that button. I think Lang is the first guy to look at. Maybe he'll be somebody they try to trade in the middle of the season. It's not like he's a long-term puzzle piece there, but every closer matters in all 30 cities. So we'll try to pick somebody in Detroit right now. My chip is on Lang. 
Yeah, I like Lang a lot, too, after the trades they made during the offseason. And another thing to think about with kind of these low-scoring teams, they're going to play a lot of low-scoring games, so there's going to be lots of save chances. Maybe they only win 65 games, but that's not so bad from a closer situation. He's going to get his chances. I think Kyle Finnegan with the Nationals is another one you could look at, similar in that Tigers vein. Really improved his control last season, gets grounders, misses bats. He has all the pieces you want in a closer. I could see him being someone who's traded mid-season potentially, but he's going late enough that it really shouldn't matter. But I think Finnegan could be a nice late-round value as well. All right, before these guys stack their top 20s, a reminder, download the Roto-World app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in your app store today. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. We continue our relief pitching positional preview. DJ's got his top 20. Scott's got his top 20. We're going to take a look at where they're a little similar and, of course, where they differ. DJ, let's start with you and go 20 to 11 here. Yeah, so I start out a little interesting here with my top 20. I have Paul Seawald, Andres Munoz, back-to-back, both on the Mariners. Seawald not quite as dominant last year as he was uh, in 2021, so I'm interested to see how he starts off. I think some save chances will be divided up there, but Munoz, when it's all said and done, will have those strikeouts, so he can help you even if he's not getting saves, and there's always the chance he gets the primary role. I already went over why I like Alexis Diaz to potentially make that step forward and why I really am not going to pay for Daniel Bard this season. Scott Barlow, I think, is a little bit underrated, and I'm not too worried about the presence of Aroldis Chapman, who I think is on the back nine for his career. Uh, number 15, I have P- Pete Fairbanks here. Uh, the Rays always keep us on their to- on our toes from a fantasy perspective with the closer role, but uh, Fairbanks was lights out I'm last jarring, year. You're right. Yeah, I mean, lights out there. Yoan uh, Duran, I have at number 14. Jorge Lopez struggled after the trade from the Orioles last season. The Orioles were smart to trade in on that. Uh, but we'll see, how, we'll see what happens in that bullpen. But Duran is another one of those guys. Like If he gets the primary role, he could jump into that top 10 uh, stratosphere, at least one of the nastiest throwers in the game. David Bednar dealt with an injury last year, but I think he's rock solid. There are some concerns based on you know what Scott said. Always a chance he could be traded. I moved Felix Batista down a couple of spots with the news of the, the knee and the shoulder uh, so far this spring. We'll see how things go. If you know he trends in the right direction, he's ready for opening day, maybe I'll put him back in my top 10. I have Kenley Jansen at 11. 
he'll have the primary closer role after that big contract, but probably not going to pay his ADP. Scott, how's your 20 to 11 stack up? Curious where you differ from DJ and where you guys kind of see some things the same. Yeah, I think you'll hear a lot of the same names in the same spots. I have Jose Leclerc as my number 20 closer, Kevin Smith's favorite closer. The team's improved, and he's got the baton to start the season, so I think he can maybe come into 20 saves. I like Alexis Diaz and Cincinnati, maybe just an eyelash less than DJ, only because the walk problem concerns me, and we know it's a homer-friendly stadium, but, man, that strikeout rate, that stuff is electric. Paul Seawald at 18. Pete Fairbanks, I'll, I'll skip ahead, is 16. Uh, Andrews Munoz, 15. Those are three closers you don't know if they'll be sharing with other people. Although if anybody in Tampa Bay is going to get 25 saves, it's going to be Fairbanks. We both have concerns about Daniel Bard. I slotted him at 17, but age 38 season, big walk problem. He's in the wrong park. I don't want you to draft him. You want Duran, I mean, 100-mile-an-hour fastball. This guy lights up the radar gun. He looked the part when he was given that closer gig in the second half of last year. I think Minnesota will win 85 ball games this year. Duran will shake hands at a lot of the end of those games. Clay Holmes, what do we do with this guy? He was unhittable for a half. He was really hittable for the second half. He was hurt for a while. And we know the Yankees, if, if there's any problem with Holmes, they'll put somebody else in the ninth inning. They'll maybe make a trade for somebody. I feel like you have to rank him proactively, and I'm, I'm sure he's higher on DJ's list than he is on mine. But I didn't really know what to do with him. I put him at 13. David Bednar, it's really a case of do you think Pittsburgh trades him? He'll certainly be their closer. He'll get 15 saves, 18 saves, 20 saves, and then Pittsburgh will will not contend. They're happy to take that revenue-sharing money and put it in their pocket. They're really not trying to put any disguise on it. They want to win 65 games every year. Bednar will save probably about half of those if he sticks. I don't know if he will. Although I rank Jansen at 11, he's somebody DJ and I don't want to draft into an age 35 season. Does the pitch clock bother him? He's probably a 60-inning guy at this point in time, and this is the weakest Red Sox team we've probably seen in 10 seasons. DJ, looking at 10-6, to a little bit more premium assets, and I know your 10 starts with somebody Scott touched on and Clay Holmes. How do you evaluate a guy like that, that we've seen the roller coaster, but a team that's going to win a lot of ball games? Yeah, so he had one bad stretch last year, which basically coincided with a back injury. I know there was a shoulder issue toward the end of the season, but to me, I have to look at, th- look at it through that context. So for me, assuming he's at full health, you know, he's the primary guy there. I think Michael King is, a, is one to watch as a potential fallback. But uh, I think, you know, full health, you know, Holmes has found, you know, sort of a new level here. And, uh, and it's a Yankees closer. So you have, to be, you have to be aggressive there. Camilo Duvall, I, I really like what he did during the second half last year as far as putting the ball on the ground, missing bats. Control was a little off in the second half, so I think that's something to watch. But uh, you like the ballpark, too. I think he's going to be fine. Ryan Helsley finished the year last year with a finger injury, but you know, plenty of time to heal from that. The velocity spike that he's had, he's a monster. Uh, Devin Williams, you know, this is finally his opportunity to be a primary closer following the Josh Hader trade. First full season in the closer role. I think the control kind of separates him from some of the elite options here, uh, but I think he can be rock solid. And I have Ryan Presley at number six. He had some injuries last year, but uh, finished the season strong. And of course, you love drafting a closer on a really good team. And I expect the Astros to be a 95 plus win team this season. Scott, how does 10 to six compare for you? Yeah, a lot of the same guys. Yeah, Camilo Doval, we've talked a lot in the show. The walk rate isn't perfect, but I like the way San Francisco handles their pitching staff, and I could see him taking a step forward for what's going to be a winning team. 
I do have Felix Batista right now as, as closer nine, but he's probably going to move down my board because I'm worried about that knee. I'm worried about that shoulder. And again, Baltimore thinks they're a contender, which means the leash could be short. So I probably misranked him, bump him down a few slots. Ryan Helsley got a chance to close second half last year and looked the part. That walkout strike rate is outstanding. I think he'll have a really strong year for a Cardinals team that probably wins around 90 games. And one of my goals here, I'm always trying to find a tier one closer at a tier two price. And that's what Ryan Presley is. That's what Rizel Iglesias is. Guys who you're going to take 20 or 30 picks after your your top ranked closers. But they, any of them could lead, either of those guys could lead the majors and saves. I want you to target both of them in your 2023 Yahoo drafts. All right, let's close this thing out. Top fives here, DJ. These are the, the premium premium. There's no way around it. These are the tier one guys. Who are your top five going into the season? So Jordan Romano I have at number five. He has a 203 ERA over the past three seasons. It feels like nobody talks about that. Uh, I expect the Blue Jays to be very, very good, and I think Romano is underrated. Uh, number four, I have Rysel Iglesias, so I actually have him a little bit higher than Scott, and I know how much Scott likes him. I think closing for the Braves is going to be money. He was great after the trade last year. I'm going to be super aggressive on Iglesias this year. Number three, I have Josh Hader. It's kind of just like what Josh Hader is going to show up. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be the one that struggled in the middle of the season? Is it going to be the one who finished strong in the regular season, in the postseason? We'll see, but the upside is obviously still through the roof there. Emmanuel Classe, I think he's probably, I mean, Diaz is, I have number one here just because of the strikeout upside, but Classe might even be more efficient than Diaz, and I think the Guardians are going to be a really good team. Diaz, you can't go wrong. I mean, like, I mean, 118 strikeouts, just ridiculous what he did last year, has really become comfortable pitching in New York, which I think is a big thing for him. I think you have to go Diaz, number one, but Classe is really not too far behind. Scott, I know a lot of the same names again for the top five, but a little bit different order here on the back end. I really want to hear about number five for you and where your concerns might lie because this is a guy that has been at the top for a little bit now. Yeah, you know, I just feel like the Josh Hader we used to know that we fell in love with is gone because he, he's always been a little bit wild, but the walk problem's gotten a little bit out of hand, and he's got a little bit of a homer problem too. And San Diego, they're not going to hesitate. If Hader gets off to a bad start, I could see him losing that job. I still haven't ranked running a relief pitcher five but I, i'm not going to draft into hater this year devin williams gets the big chair in milwaukee guy also walks a few too many batters but he's got a big strikeout rate i think he's going to get 35 or 40 saves through a milwaukee team that probably makes a wild card run jordan romano last year i talked about i want tier two prices on my closers it can be tier one guys that was jordan romano last year this year he'll be a little bit more expensive but if you think Toronto's going to win 90 games and i sure do then jordan romano is somebody you're going to be targeting now i have class a at two i have diaz at one they're different pitchers in the sense that with class a he doesn't walk anybody nobody hits a home run off this guy unless you get a two iron in your hands but he doesn't have a lock a crazy strikeout rate now, diaz strikes out everybody so with class a you're living more with the pitch to contact maybe he allows a few more hits as the shift goes away this year but i like this guardians team terry francona is usually very good to his closers i have no problem spending a previous a premium pick on class a the thing with diaz is it just do you have the stomach to pay the freight on him adp wise and give up your third or fourth best hitter give up one of your top starting pitchers i probably won't do that 
But man, anytime somebody on your staff strikes out 17 guys per nine innings, I mean, he's got unbelievable stuff. The Mets could have the best roster, maybe the best pitching staff in the National League. So I don't think I'll write the ticket on, on Diaz, but I understand why people will. I think what's interesting about Diaz is, like, let's say you pick a starter who maybe doesn't have the monster strikeout rate. He kind of helps you balance that out and make up for it. So uh, I think in certain situations... I mean, Diaz is great, and you'll feel good no matter what if you draft him. But obviously, in certain situations, it makes more sense than others. And with that, remember Yahoo oh, too. No, the Yahoo Standard League, right, has a innings cap, and it's become a cap that a lot of fantasy teams won't even go near because the starters don't throw as many innings. So, DJ makes a great point that we're in a, an era now. The, the shape of baseball now, the strikeout rate it used to be with a closer. Sorry, how many saves does he get? You wouldn't even really think so much about their strikeouts. But because Diaz's strikeout rate is so removed from everybody else in this pool, he could allow you to maybe take some pitch to contact starting pitchers that you normally wouldn't want because you feel like Diaz is going to make up the strikeouts for you. So that's a great point. With The shape of baseball has changed. It's so much more reliever driven now. And so getting those 125 strikeouts from Diaz probably mean more than they might have 10 years ago. And with that, with that we conclude another positional preview for circling the bases. The reliever market, top 20s from each of these guys. Well done for Scott Pianowski. DJ Short, I'm Connor Rogers. We'll talk to you soon. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.